Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Good morning, Northeast Christian Church. How's everybody doing? We good? Good. Hey, my name is uh, Jacob Stewart, and I have the honor and privilege of being our high school ministry pastor here. I get to hang out with this incredible crew right over here, rocking their PJs this morning. Great. We do have a theme, so sorry if a few camera shots get a little weird um, (laughs) this morning, but we've got a great morning ahead of us. Um, I'm really excited to be continuing our series uh, in mental health. You know, our series, like Tyler's mentioned, it is based off of a book that we've recommended a lot called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, man, this book has been a game changer for me over these past four years. I've reread it every year um, since I found it. And um, I want to kind of pick up on a conversation that Tyler began last week. And it's in uh, Scazzaro's book here on the wall. Now, the wall is simply this emotional trauma that in our life that we will all face. Maybe you're at one right now. And typically what happens whenever we go through this wall is two things happen. We go through grief and then we go through loss. Today, I'm going to try and talk through what is grieving. What is grieving and how we can do that by walking with Jesus because I think a lot of the times we get stuck at the wall. Because we treat grief, we treat loss, we treat uh, depression and anger as these massive intrusions into our lives. And don't get me wrong, they, they really are. But a lot of times we just do not have, um, at least for me personally, I didn't, was not equipped to handle big emotions like that very well growing up. Or we just don't have the courage to fully participate in the process. And so the question we got to wrestle with this morning is how do we biblically grieve? So let's get started today with the reading of God's word. Go ahead and stand up to your feet. We'll be in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The word of the Lord. Go ahead and take a seat and let me pray for us. Jesus, let your scriptures and let your stories just speak to us this morning. Let your Holy Spirit empower us in love and grace and truth. In Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You know, for me, I grew up in uh, northeastern Kentucky, about two hours from here. And if I'm being honest, none of you are going to know the name of my town, maybe a few. I grew up in Grayson, Kentucky. And to be honest, you've probably never heard of it because it's truly like 
the greatest truck stop in America, pretty much, okay? All that's there are some gas stations, some fast food restaurants, a few of my personal favorite restaurants. None of y'all are going to know those today. But all that's really there is um, in a small Christian school, really, Kentucky Christian University, where I went to school. Now, in my town, honestly, our my little town is about the size of our church if we combine both of our campuses together and the numbers. And um, so that means somehow, some way, we virtually know everyone, right? Or you at least know who's related to someone. And there'd be several stories as I would grow up in this town that would end up impacting our little small town of Grace and very, um, very big. One of them being a story um, from Tim and Tammy Nishan. Now, what's really cool about Tim and Tammy is that they're actually here in Louisville now, which is incredible to me. Um, Tim is on our finance team here. Uh, Tammy is a counselor in the area. Now, their family always stood out to me because of a few stories that happened in their lives, one of them being their son, Nick Nashon. Nick was one of their children who was diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of seven. And unfortunately, he passed away from that six and a half years later. Now, a story like this, it would obviously have a huge impact on a town like ours. And it would have a huge impact on really anywhere you would hear a story about this. Now, what I would grow to learn is that in college, a few years after Nick's passing, I actually learned that Tim and Tim and Tammy had actually lost another child earlier. Uh, Their six-week baby girl named Adrian to sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS. So this family... And their short years have gone through the death of two children. I share this because Tammy, she's actually written a blog about grief. And it was so popular in our little hometown. Everybody would read it. And I think she actually will help us articulate grief in a really real way. Because grief is an emotion that's hard to describe. Here's what she says. She says, grief is so much more than an emotion. It's one thing to say a person is sad or happy or confused or regretful or depressed or even angry because you can picture sadness. You can imagine happiness. You can understand feelings of confusion. You can empathize with regret. You can feel depression. You can relate to anger. But grief, there's no way to really explain this word. It's impossible to define grief. It can't be placed in any certain category because grief, it carries every other emotion inside of it. I can cry in my grief one day and laugh in another. I can look back with sadness as I grieve, but I can also look back with this overwhelming feeling of thankfulness. I can praise God for what I had while swinging my fists at what I lost. Grief is complicated. And grief, it's not for wimps. Yet no one has the right to decide if they are strong enough to handle it because grief, it doesn't wait for an invitation. Grief happens while we're trying to live a good life or while we're trying to live a not-so-good life. And grief, it doesn't play favorites. And grief never goes away once it decides to enter your world. That right there is grief. An emotion that is very difficult to, decide, to describe, but yet I bet a lot of you resonate with that paragraph right there, somehow, some way. But for us, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself here, but I think as a culture in the West, we deal with grief and loss in some pretty unhealthy ways. At least, once again, I do. You know, Scazzaro, he says in his book, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that we numb our pain. Through denial, blaming, rationalizations, addictions, and avoidance. We demand others take our pain. Yet we all face many deaths. 
within our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will crush our spirit and life or open us up to new possibilities and depths of transformation with Christ Jesus. And that's the tension we're going to kind of walk through and navigate this morning. You know, there's a story in Scripture that is truly unlike any other that you'll see in the library of the Bible. One um, 16th century theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards, he preached one time on the story of Job. And he says that the story of Job is like the story of all of us. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Job, Job was an incredibly wealthy and important family in his day. The scriptures actually talk about how he was the greatest man in the East. In Job 1, it talks about how Job, he was not just incredibly wealthy, but he was also one of the godliest men to ever walk this earth. He was blameless and he was upright. He had 10 kids and he had thousands and thousands of livestock, which would equate to wealth back then. You know, we could have, I think, probably really used him a few weeks ago for our Better Together Fall Festival. That would have really just amped things up with like 3,000 camels, according to the scripture that was here. That would be cool. And not just that, there was actually a picture from that fall festival that really started to kind of blow up on Facebook. I'm going to show you a picture here in just a few seconds on um, that happened from this fall festival. You know, one is a real goat, okay? But the other is the goat of all pastors, Rhonda Lamb. And if you thought seeing her leading around that goat a few weeks ago was a big deal and pretty amazing, imagine Job with his 3,000 donkeys walking around on this campus, okay? Incredible. Anyways, the story's not about a farm and livestock, but just to prove how vast of wealth he had. The story actually continues into what we're going to be talking about with this conversation between God and our true enemy, the devil. The devil claims Job, he only follows God because God gives him all this good stuff. He's rich and famous. If God would take away those things, though, Job wouldn't follow him anymore. And so God does something very interesting. He allows Satan to inflict suffering upon Job. He ends up losing everything. All that he's ever known, his kids die in tornadoes and earthquakes. These enemies come in and just slaughter all of his livestock. He gets bad. And one day he loses all of it, except for his wife. But somehow, through it all, Job, he actually ends up worshiping God at the end of all of it. It's almost kind of annoying, to be honest. Like, he's, he's like, well, here, here, actually, let's just read what he says. In chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, it says, At this, after all that stuff happened, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. This was like an outward sign of grief. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. It's kind of annoying, his disposition, right? The way too positive attitude, I think. But this continues, and unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. Satan goes back to Job. He inflicts him with all these boils and sores, and it's really, really gross. He has to move outside of the city walls because he's so ill all alone to die. Even his wife comes up to him and says, man, stop the show. Stop being so good. Curse God and die. Just do it. You know what's wild about this story is that Job, he was innocent. 
There was no connection between a sin and all the suffering he was living in. Because I think if we figured out that Job, he had acquired all of this wealth through maybe some shady back-end stuff, we would say, ha, you get what you deserve. It's justice that all of that happened to you. But Scripture talks about how he was one of the godliest men on the face of the earth. You know, we asked our students actually to send in some questions over these past two series, calling it question from the youths, right? And one of their questions was, why is bad mental health often dismissed as not having strong faith? Guys, my answer to that is that it's a really bad take. It's ignorance. If someone has looked at you and told you that, that's not okay. Because look at Job, incredibly faithful and obedient, but yet going through a ton of suffering. Why? There is no connection there. Now we do believe that in the holistic approach to mental health, like Tyler has mentioned before, in spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, it is all connected together. And so maybe a lack of faith could be a piece of bad mental health, but it can't be all of it. The question I think though, that we're probably asking out of this story and what we end up asking in our situations is where is the love of God who would do this to a faithful Job? That's the question we're wrestling with, I think, this morning. You know, for us, we typically don't experience loss and grief as rapidly as Job does. Obviously, I think we experience it more over the course of a lifetime. But I think the question I wanna ask you guys today is how might you have grieved if you were Job in that moment? You know, for me, I... I don't think I'd be doing a a worship session after all that happened to me. You know, for me and my family, we've been kind of going through this whole wall and grief thing for a few years now. A little about my family. Uh, I've been married to my incredible wife, Kristen, for about six and a half years now. And we have a beautiful four-year-old by the name of Mia. You know, our four-year-old, Mia, she's this incredible story um, of IVF or in vitro fertilization. And since we've been married, Chris and I, we've wanted to have kids. We want a big family, but we have what is called unexplained infertility. We've tried all the things before IVF and just no rhyme, no reason. We cannot have kids on our own. And it's been really painful, especially for my wife. And it was a pretty dark time for the both of us from 2016 through about 2018. And we did the IVF process. She puts her body through so much And we receive our beautiful girl in 2017. We're so thankful for that. We're so joyful for her. But the hard part is ever since that moment, it's all been the same as it was before her. We thought like we hear in some of these IVF stories that this would kind of kickstart the system and we'd be able to have kids naturally, but it just hasn't been the case for us. And in that time, around 2019, we begin the process again of IVF. And the, the egg retrieval was great. Chris had over like 20-some eggs, but we find out that only two of them are viable. So we actually had those frozen because she was in some schooling at the time. And during that in-between time, we thought we have a miracle happen. I remember her coming down the stairs and saying, she's pregnant. We rejoiced, we're so thrilled, but that joy quickly dissipated as we find out we miscarried. Then we go to April, a little bit after that moment, and we found some comfort in the middle of that grief and loss that we still had some great options left with those two eggs. And so we move forward with that process and 
During the unthawing, though, of those two, only one of them ends up surviving, which, of course, the doctor tells us that's a pretty rare thing that happens. I wish he wouldn't have said that. And so we move forward and we implant the other one, and unfortunately, that one didn't take either. You know, I'll uh, never forget my wife looking at me and saying, I feel like someone's died. So here we are, November 2021, one child still and super thankful about her and people being so kind to pray for us and be there for us, tell us all about the fostering and adoption. And I get it, but it's still really painful and our story really hurts. There's been good days and really bad days through it all. And I think my wife put it really well whenever she wrote something on Facebook after the failed IVF attempt, and she said this, am I angry with God? Honestly, no. I had thought about what I would feel and how I would keep myself from falling into this pit of anger and resentment like I had previously before Mia. I've spent years working on forgiving myself for those feelings in that time in our lives. I know God is good, and I know that because more than ever, I can see our Mia is a miracle. He gave her to us and her life is evidence of every day to me of his faithfulness and grace. But am I confused? Of course I am. Do I wonder how he allowed this to happen? For sure. But do I think he's weeping in heaven with us? Absolutely. But I understand that I may not see this or it may not look like what I had imagined in this life. You know, too often... We end up going through stories like mine, and you guys can all insert your own stories of grief and loss this morning. And we get stuck there. The grief, the anxiety can consume us. And we end up dealing with them in some really unhealthy ways. We start to get very negative and we build up these defensive walls and shields in our lives to not deal with the emotions that we're facing in the moment. It gets bad. It gets really bad. And I want to actually show you what this looks like today with a little illustration. Can you guys give a big round of applause and welcome him up to the stage? Caleb Murphy, one of our students. Give him a big round of applause to get him comfortable up here. What's up, bro? All right, Caleb. Um, This morning, guys, I want you to imagine that this big bag that he's got on him right here is, scooch over just just a little bit, okay, Is, uh, is your mind. Okay, now, okay, nothing crazy in your mind today, so that's good. Um, so I probably don't want to know what's going on in a lot of your all's minds this morning. But anyways, this is your mind. Now, I also up here, I've, I've got some weights with me, okay? I'm going to try not to drop these on your toes, Caleb, but these things are going to represent the things in life that we all go through and experience, grief, loss, your stories, okay? Now, you may be this morning, let's, let's be real, Caleb. They, I think a lot of these guys are probably grieving the loss that they showed up for church this morning and Tyler's not here to preach. <laughs> and they're stuck with the high school pastor this morning. Maybe they're grieving that loss, okay? Or maybe you're like me. I'm a pretty bitter sports guy, okay? I'm a big Kentucky Wildcats fan. Go Cats. And uh, unfortunately, a few weeks ago, we somehow, some way 
in the most Kentucky way possible, lose to Tennessee of all teams. Don't pump your fist in the air like that. No, I'm so, I'm grieving the loss that we lost that game to that ugly orange color that they call, that they call a uniform. It's messed up. Anyways, all right, let's get, let's get a little bit more serious, okay? Maybe for some of you, I talk to these students all the time, like, hey, I was, I was really good friends with somebody, but then we just had a falling out. Maybe you've got a friendship that's just totally dissipated over the past few years. Maybe like Tim and Tammy, you've had the loss of children in your life. Maybe for some of you, you're dealing with the loss of, of, of a spouse. Maybe it's just COVID. COVID's totally ruined your routine and everything going on in your life and you don't see a way out of it. Maybe you're going through a divorce and the loss of the life that you once had. Maybe you've got some kids in your life right now that they're just not even really speaking to you and don't want to be a part of the family. Maybe you've had to put some dreams and goals on hold right now. And so you're going through that. You know, whatever it is that you're going through, picture your situation entering into your mind, your body, your spirit. And what happens is it starts to bear a weight on us. Whether we realize it or not, it starts to bear some weight. Caleb, you doing okay, bro? Not really. Okay. <laughs> but that's the point. Is that Caleb was an athlete here. He plays soccer and he's a pretty strong dude, but be real, you're not doing great. And you could probably walk off the stage, you could walk around, but if you had to carry this around all day, go to soccer practice, uh, go to school and carry this around, it's going to be pretty exhausting, right? It's going to feel pretty terrible at some point. But too often, we end up ignoring what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. And unfortunately, though, whenever this stuff starts to happen in our life, we typically ignore the damage, that it's doing to us on the inside. Because in our culture, addiction is actually the most common way to deal with pain. So it's not just the grief, loss, trauma that you're going through that bears a weight on your heart and mind. It's actually the stuff that we use to try and not think about it, to not confront the emotions. It's the things that we do that we think will bring freedom to us that end up putting us in slavery to our own trauma. Things like, We'll just take our phones, man, and we will just mindlessly start to scroll through social media. We do these things kind of like what I tell our students called the social media circuit, okay? We'll start off in Instagram. We'll thumb through those stories. I've seen some of these students fly. But I was like, you're not, you can't even see what the story is, but you're just zooming past it, hoping something will connect and just get, grab your attention. Now, you get bored with that real fast, and so maybe you'll go to Facebook for the adults in the room, and then you scroll through that, you see some silly, you know, political post, and you say, oh, I'm so much better than them, I don't think that. You get disgusted, you move on to your next favorite app, maybe it's TikTok, you try to do a dance, you're way too old for that, please don't. And then you get bored with it, and maybe you get some good laughs, send them to your friends. But then, after five, ten minutes of that, you go back to Instagram, hoping there's something new there. And, and you try and... Yeah, or you post a picture of yourself looking for some likes and things like that. 
So you start there with social media or what about Netflix? Oh man, Netflix and whatever your shows are, you're on this big five hour binge into the crown and it's great, it's so awesome. But then that notification comes up on the screen and it's like, are you still there? And you get offended. Like, whoa, yes, I'm still here. I'm really offended by that. Netflix, of course I'm still here on my five hour binge of watching Netflix all day. Or for some of us, man, we're working like, 70 hours a week just to fill our, our, our minds, to, to distract us. You probably even hate your job, but yet you're going to give that many hours to something just to keep your mind off of what's going on in your life and heart and mind. Not just that, we are so busy. Dude, I think this is a promise or a, a problem with some of our church and so much. I see it in our culture all the time. We are so busy. Our calendars are full from 7 a.m. to 9 to 10 o'clock at night, and that's every day of the week. We go from one thing to the next. Some of the things that I see that we're putting these teenagers and kids in from one activity to the next to the next, it's not doing them any good. It's not doing you any good. Some of us, we're overeating. We're over drinking. We're going to the parties that we know we shouldn't be going to. We're indulging in porn to fill up those desires. We'll get the injections and take the pills to make sure we stay young and youthful for as long as we can. We'll go as far as to demand someone or something take away our grief and loneliness like a spouse, a sexual partner, the ideal family, a child, an achievement, whatever it is to get that grief and loneliness out of our hearts and mind. But all this is doing is putting you in slavery to your own feelings. And sadly, what ends up happening is that it doesn't just affect you negatively and brings you down into grief and depression and anxiety, is that it starts to leak out of you through these short little rude comments, getting really impatient with your kid over nothing, to get feeling this anger all the time, to feeling this weight in your chest like your chest is on fire and tingling and that anxiety just raising up in you. We start to ignore texts and phone calls to come out to lunch and dinner. We start to skip church and small group. And then we just get angry all the time. This stuff ends up building some defensive walls in our hearts and minds to not deal with the baggage and the weight that we're bearing in our hearts, in our minds. And this is what happens whenever we don't grieve well does damage to us. Whenever we don't give our pain over to Jesus, the son of suffering, whenever we don't give it over to him and try to remap our thoughts towards healing and peace, we'll crumble. So in the words of Jesus, how do we have this weight lifted off? How do we come to him? And like he says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How does that happen? That's what I wanna to finish today, but I, get, I need you guys to give me a big round of applause for Caleb as he safely goes off the stage. I wanna talk through the story of Job a little bit more because I think he really helps us with this because to grieve in the family of Jesus as a Jesus follower, it's the best family to grieve in. I've got four things that Scazzaro talks through in his book that I want you all to know about this morning is number one, we've gotta pay attention. We gotta pay attention to our emotions. Because if we're being real, I think the church over the years, we've had like a not great theology on sadness, 
grief, loss, depression. Honestly, I think it's the most rich theology in terms of world religions on how to deal and walk through suffering and the point of suffering, but our practicality is lacking a lot. I mean, sometimes I look at these teenagers knowing their stories, and I'm like, oh, hi, Cadence, how are you doing today? And she'll be like, oh, fine, how are you? No, 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 no. We gotta stop being fake. We gotta stop with that because Job, he eventually gets to that point and he screams out in pain. He gets mad at God. He cursed the day of his birth by saying this, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived, may that day turn to darkness. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. That's pretty intense. He cursed God. He was upset and guess what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's an okay thing to tell God exactly how you feel because it's how you should respond in the middle of your grief. Job, he confronted his wall. He confronted the loss in his life. He head on. He didn't avoid the horror of his circumstances, but confronted it. For us, I think it looks like three things. One, we got to get honest with our prayers to God. We got to stop just asking him for a blessing during our food. We got to we got to get honest with the emotions that we're feeling towards him. Because if we're not being honest with God, we're for sure not going to be honest with those around us. And we've got to be honest with those around us. That's what's great about the family of God is that we can help bear each other's burdens like Paul talks about. And last, you, you got to get into a counselor to process those emotions in a safe and healthy place. But maybe you're finding yourself, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to voice my, my, my prayers and this deep, raw emotion out to God. Well, good news. In the book of Psalms, which would have been known as the school of prayer, the school of worship that Jesus would have learned how to pray, in those Psalms, two-thirds of them are lament, which is crying out to God in pain and in anguish and asking him, when are you going to move in my life? Use those scriptures as a way to voice that pain. We've got to get to that level of honesty with God in order to grieve really well. We've got to pay attention to the emotions inside of us. Two, we've got to wait in the confusing in-between. Wait in the confusing in-between. And this is a really hard one. All of these are tough. But learning how to be still and wait patiently, being humble enough to say, God, I am going through hell right now, but I'm going to trust you, that is really difficult. It's hard enough to wait for our like delivery pizza to our front door on a Sunday night before football starts that night. So how in the world are we supposed to wait on God through grief, anxiety, death, depression, loss, for him to respond? How how do we even start? For Job, he waited a while. Maybe he was forced into it because of his illness and sickness, but he was forced into waiting. And he, eventually he has these three friends show up and let's be real, they were the worst. They were the worst. They did a terrible job at comforting him. They accused him that he has this deep, dark sin that he wasn't confessing. And that's why he's suffering all this, all this time. They were lies though. And Job, while he waited though, God did show up. And what this looks like for us is waiting in the confusing in-between. It looks like continually going to God in prayer with our real emotions, not giving up on him, 
Even if you don't feel anything, even if you don't sense anything, continually going to God in prayer, seeking out trusted advice whenever you're ready for it and looking towards God to receive what you're after in due time. Or better yet, like we just talked about with our students this past Wednesday, Wednesday is asking God for his will and your will into the, to align in the reality of your life and the chaos that you find yourself in. Number three, it's learning how to embrace the limits of your life that are just there naturally, but God has placed two. You know, to embrace limits in our life, it requires a lot of humility and it leads to a great trust in God as well, though. You know, Scazzaro, in his book, he, he lists some, um, some limits that I think you guys should be aware of. One, your physical body. Y'all, we're all dying. Heads up. We'll all return to the dust one day and we're all gonna finish this life with unfinished goals and unfinished dreams. We gotta accept that. Your marital status, whether you're married or you're single, those are limits in your life. If you've got kids right now, especially in that zero to five years old range, like me, you know you're limited past 7 p.m. every week, okay? Every night, actually, you are limited to what you can do. Your material wealth, even if you're pulling up into this parking lot with a Tesla, your, your wealth is limited. Your time. You have only one life to live. You, we gotta stop trying to figure out how to do it all in this life, your work. You're only gonna be able to do so much in a day. We gotta grieve that limit. Quit carrying it home with you and working all day long. You don't have to have it all done at the end of every day. Last, your spiritual understanding. You know, when God finally responds to Job, he takes him on this big cosmic field trip to have him understand just how vast he is. Job, he had to grieve and realize that he was never going to understand God's purposes and what he does. And the same is true for us in 2021. We have to embrace that we'll never fully comprehend God, his plans at all. It's a tough reality, but it's one we have to face. Because whenever we go over our limits and we let this burden crush us on the inside, those defensive walls and shields, they come up and grief, it'll consume us every single day. And we live out of that place of hurt and despair. But if we embrace them, if we let them humble us a bit, we can take these small little baby steps towards spiritual maturity and transformation into Christ, which is the last thing I wanna talk about today is that we have to let the old birth the new. You know, Scazzaro says is that good grieving is not just letting go, but it's also letting it bless us. You know, Job, he realizes that his old life, what had been before, it is gone, it is forever lost. And he paid attention to his feelings. He voiced those out to God. He waited on God to speak and move in his life. He embraced those limits and it led to the old birthing something new in his life because in God's timing, we will be blessed. God eventually does bless Job. It rings true today, actually twice as much as his fortunes before. And if I'm being honest, last 10%, I hate the ending of this story. Hate it. Because I just feel like it's not the reality for most of us. At least for me and my story right now, it doesn't feel like God's blessing me twice as much as before. 
And maybe I'm just too young to see that to be true right now. But what I do know is that I trust in Jesus. What he's done on the cross through his resurrection and ascension into heaven, I trust in that. I trust in the scriptures that he's given us. And I do believe that the point of the story of Job is to encourage us to trust in God the Father with the small and the really big painful deaths that we will experience in this life on earth, both literal and figuratively. You know, Jesus, he actually tells us a story in John chapter 12, verse 24, about this concept of the old birthing the new as he's talking about himself going towards the cross. He says that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The new can only come by picking up our cross and walking with him the son of suffering with in the middle of our suffering because resurrection it only comes through death. And guys, our losses in this life, they are so real. The experiences that we are gonna go through are so real. They force us to wrestle with grief and depression and anger in really unbearable ways at times. But while our losses are real, so is the living God. And he is with you in your situation. And as we learn how to pay attention to our feelings and wait in the confusing in between, embrace our limits and learn how to give our suffering over to the son of suffering Jesus, we can grieve God's way and be changed forever. I wanna end with this, that I'm gonna really challenge you guys this week. If you're weighed down by your grief, your depression, your situation, please don't go another week without reaching out to us. We've thrown up this number over the past few weeks. Please text us. We want to help you. We're here for you. We want to pray with you. We want to point you to the right resources and to show you that God is in the middle of your suffering and and your story, and he's walking with you. You know, Tammy, in that blog post that I read earlier, she closes with a line that I think feels really fitting. She says, grief... Though cruel, longs to love me through my hurt. I know things are painful, especially over these past two years. Don't ignore it. Don't suppress it. Don't throw up defensive walls in front of other people in your life. When loss and grief, it comes your way, but walk in it with the God of peace. I'm gonna challenge you guys to spend some time journaling this week. Write out your real emotions. Think about a situation you're going through. Write them out. Voice those out to God. It may be the first time you've been real with God in a long time, but then voice those with someone else and watch what God does as we pay attention to our feelings and emotions. But to end, let me remind you of the scripture that I read earlier. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves each and every one of us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Y'all, it's gonna take time. But the hope of Jesus and his suffering, it can fill us up with his hope by love, not by our strength, but the strength of the Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead and now lives in each and every one of you that have said yes to him. Walk with him and grieve with him. Let me pray for each of us. Jesus, I just pray that these words be true in the hearts of each and every one of us today. Let your Holy Spirit, God, fill us with hope, joy, and peace. And may the prayer that Job prays finally be ours. That my ears heard of you, but now my eyes 
have seen you, God. May it be true. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.